Thank you, worship team. You guys can have a seat, man. We've got a great God, and he's worth our praise, is he not? So thank you for singing to him this morning. And uh, thank you, Molly, for leading. Thank you, Molly, for being here. I was worried last night. We were like, oh, yeah, it is time change weekend. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys for getting up early, extra early this morning. And uh, do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, we're going to jump right in. Turn to Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 24. We're going to finish up our Not Just Another series here this morning. Uh, and I've been kind of doing a series that I'm trying and have been hopeful that uh, as we've gone through God's Word that we've noticed that God has oftentimes a higher view of his church than we have. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to remind us that the church is not an institution out there. Uh, it's God's people. It's people that are followers of Christ. We've been looking at how we are to live in community, uh, Christian community with one another, okay? And so we're going to continue that and finish that here. And just to kind of give you a little bit of a, a roadmap of where we're going next week, we're gonna, I'm going to do kind of what a standalone sermon. The following week is baptism and the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate the two ordinances together as a church. Church. Uh, it's always one of my favorite services that we do. And, uh, and if you're here and you've been praying about or thinking about being baptized, that's the next step in your spiritual journey. Uh, you can let us know that on that tear-off card and drop that in the offering plate. And we would love to get with you and talk to you a little bit more about that. And uh, I'm actually going to have a meeting next week after the service, and we can meet with you if you want to talk more there. And then the following week is Easter Sunday, and I like to call it Resurrection Sunday. And, and uh, we are going to do just one service, okay? It's not going to be here. It's going to be where? Do you guys know it's going to be where? Woodside High School, okay? So I'm going to keep repeating this because I know that some people are here or miss. I want to make sure everybody hears that, okay? And the service time is going to be when? 10 o'clock, okay? So it's 10 o'clock, Woodside High School, Easter Sunday. Uh, so the maps in your bulletin is going to be a great uh, celebration together. I know it's spring break, so uh, it's the front end. So if you want to delay your trip and worship together, that's going to be a great time, okay? Yeah, and then after the Easter uh, weekend, I'm going to be doing a series, probably goes through much of the summer. Uh, we're going to be going through the book of Romans together. And uh, ooh, yeah, some people are excited. That's great. But uh, I'm pretty passionate about this uh, summer series, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's it, you know, I don't know, probably 10 to 13 weeks, somewhere in there, and it's difficult to even cover that book in that short of a time period, um, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a letter to a church that literally changed the world. Uh, men like Augustine, you know, around 300 A.D., he dug into the book of Romans, and it literally shaped Western culture. And then when Western culture went into the Dark Ages, the, the Reformers got a hold of the book of Romans and the teaching of Augustine, and it literally brought us out of the dark. I mean, it's just so much impact this one letter has had in, in literally in the culture that you sit in today, and, and, uh, and what you believe about God is impacted by the book. So I'm really excited about it. I think we're going to have a great journey and as a church, and I uh, hope you'll join us for that. Okay, I, uh, I I have a preteen son. Let's bow with prayer right there. Um, so, actually, those you parents that have raised children through the preteen and teenage, do they turn out normal? I mean, do, uh, can I have some hope? And some of you are like, no, mine are still not. No. Yeah, you know. So, so I have a preteen son, right? And he was doing his thing this week, and um, me and my me and my wife were doing our thing. And in the midst of this, he disagreed with us as parents. Has that ever happened? And so he disagreed with us as parents, and and so in the middle of this disagreement, he goes, "I want a new family." That's what he said. I want a new family. And being the gracious and generous man that I am, 
I said, son, you can go find a new family. And because I'm kind and gracious and generous, I'm even going to let you pack some of the clothes that we bought. Okay? Let me go pack them for you. Okay? And we kind of joked about that. A few minutes later, it was dinner time, and he started to fill his plate with food. I said, what are you doing? <laughs> he looked up and he goes, I'm eating. I said, not here. That's for this family. You're going to go up to find food somewhere else, you know? And so this morning's sermon is really in the context of, of the language of family, okay? The Apostle Paul here in Galatians has written a letter to a church in the city of Galatia, and he uses family language. And the language that, he, that we're going to look at here this morning and, and the, the, the truths that we're going to talk about this morning are truths that a lot of times in church life we don't talk about. Because there, towards the end of the we're going to get into some hard truths about what it means to live in Christian community. The truths that we're going to talk about today is, is part of what separates Christian community from, from being just being in a community club, a community center, a bar, whatever, you know, where you're just hanging out with your friends. It's, it goes, today we're going to talk about relationships that go a little bit deeper than surface level, okay? And, and the one another that we're going to unpack here this morning is in family language, and, and that's the language that Paul uses. And so the, before we kind of unpack the harder truths here this morning, we have to see that, you know, I want to paint the picture that as a reminder, and all these one another's that we've been talking about, how to love one another and serve one another. In fact, we're going to finish here this morning with, with bear one another's burdens. Some of y'all have probably heard that verse, okay? But in that, it's always in the context of people that are followers of Jesus Christ as the starting point. And, and all of this one another and how we love and serve and bear and all that stuff that we've looked at, all that is the overflow of a heart that is captivated by Jesus Christ. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, the apostle Paul says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. So Paul says in the context of what we're about to talk about, it starts with understanding that we have died to ourselves. This is a long point, okay? But but Paul's saying that you're no longer the central theme of you. Did you hear that? You are no longer the central theme of you. Your thoughts, the overflow of your heart is now, you've, you've died to your stuff, to your sin, to your passions, to your desires, and you live for God and you live for others. That's the theme, that you're dead to a continual longing about your stuff. I was thinking about this as I was driving up last night. I knew I was going to be teaching on this, and I I was reflecting on my day yesterday. And I was reflecting on, I was trying to get my mind around how often during the day yesterday I took my mind off of myself and thought about others. I tried to just think about how much during this day did I think about loving others and serving others, and did I take my mind and my heart and my thoughts off of me? It's pretty depressing, actually, right? And Paul says that that as a follower of Christ, we we have nailed to the cross 
our passions and our desires. In fact, when someone gets baptized, that's what they're declaring to us is they've, they're no longer on the center of their heart. Now, Jesus Christ is on, and just as, is on the center of their heart, and Jesus, and Jesus Christ is as he died on the cross. They have nailed them to themselves to the cross, spiritually and figuratively. All right, and then now, and they're now dead to their sin, and they're raised up out of the water to live a new life for Christ. This past week, Pastor Joey was telling me a story, and and just so you know that um, you know Pastor Joey enjoys preaching a lot. And one of the things that us preachers do on the side is we have kind of a folder full or a database full of stories. You're always looking for stories to illustrate spiritual truth, you know. And you always kind of have that eye and culture. And you know, it's amazing how much I see Jesus in sports. You know, it's like, oh, there's <laughs> Jesus right there. You know, that'll teach. And you know, and and so he was sharing the story. And as he's sharing the story, my eyes are lighting up. I'm like, oh, I can use that this week. I knew I just stole one of his stories, right? So, sorry, Joey. Only you and I find that funny. No one else cares. But anyway, there's one of your good stories. But, you know, he was, <clears throat> he was telling me this story this week about a, a pastor that was giving some counsel to a man, and this man came into his office, and he began to unload on this pastor all the things he felt like he was doing wrong and all the things he felt like he had to stop doing. And so he's sitting with his pastor. He's like, you know, I know I need to stop drinking. And I know, I know I need to stop being flirtatious with women. I know I need to stop looking at these internet sites. And he went on and on and on. And then he started to list the things he, he needed to start doing. Like, I know I need to start, you know, being a part of a church. And, you know, I know I need to start being in a small I know I need to start praying. I know I need to start reading my Bible. And he started listing all these things he thought that he needed to start doing. And and this pastor went on to talk to his congregation about this, and, and he said, you know, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is a non-Christian looks at their sin and thinks, I have to stop doing the things that I love, and I have to start doing the things I hate. I want you to think about that for a minute. A non-Christian looks at their sin and says, man, I love that. And if I want to please God, i got to stop doing that, and i got to start doing these things I really don't like that much. Where a Christian, it's a heart change, and the heart has been changed. And I'm not going to say none of us in this room is perfect. First John reminds us that all of us, even as the followers of Christ, we, can, we, we sin from time to time. But when we sin, it grieves us. And it's no longer, man, i got to stop doing stuff I hate. We look at our sin and we go, man, I hate that. Why do I continue to do that? My heart has been changed by Christ and I want to worship him. And we long to do the things we should do, right? We get up on, on a weekend service and there's a sense in our heart. And even on time change weekend, there's a sense of, man, I can't wait to go gather with my church family and corporately worship the Lord. It's a heart change, right? As opposed to I'm dragging myself here, I better go do this so God is happy with me. Enduring Pastor Sean's sermons doesn't make God happy with you, right? It's a heart change. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul says the beginning of this family talk is to understand that as a follower of Christ, you have died to yourself. You've nailed the sinful passions and desires to the cross. And you're now a follower of Jesus Christ. And so the next couple verses that we're going to look at is in the context of a person whose affections of their heart have been radically changed by a relationship with Christ, the power of the Spirit, and the power of God's Word. Does that make sense? So it's in that context. It's family talk. And so this family talk goes on in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. Paul says, since 
We are living by the Spirit. Okay. Have you heard this theme? Have you been noticing in my teaching over the last year or so this theme? It just keeps popping out at me in scriptures I'm reading about. This this life in the Spirit for a follower of Christ. Man, there's, there's a deposit of the third person, the Trinity, in our hearts and lives and minds. And man, we live differently. And Paul says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in some parts of our lives, right? Is that what it says? No, right? The Spirit in, impacts everything we do. The Spirit doesn't just dwell here when we're singing, right? And that, that was a Spirit-led chair service today, right? Mm. So much more than that. The Spirit, in, when, we're, when we're gripped with a new heart, with the Holy Spirit, in our hearts and lives, man, when we go out of these doors, it influences every part of our lives. How we, how we work, how we treat our spouse, how we parent, how we use our finances, how we teach, how we, how we interact in our community, what we do with our entertainment. The Spirit impacts every part of our lives. And so Paul says, so let us not become conceited. So here's the one another part now. Here's the family language. Here's how we talk to one another. Here's, what we, here's how we work. It impacts all that we do in our Christian community. Okay, He says, so let us not become conceited, let us not provoke one another, and let us not be jealous of one another. So he says, here is the community attitude for those who live by the power of the Spirit, right? It's the, it's the family attitude. He says, first of all, we're not proud. In our Christian community, there's a certain humility. There's a, there's a humble, mutual submission to one another. There's an honoring of one another. We honor our differences. We, we honor how God has wired each of us up uniquely. And there's a sense in which we're not calling each other out. We're not provoking one another, right? We're not irritating to one another. You know, it reminds me, and I'm kind of glad we're through the season, but, you know, in church life, one of the things that always makes me a little nervous is, is when we get to the presidential elections every four years where, man, and even in our community, man, people get spun up and we can irritate one another and we can provoke one another. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for important dialogue and there's not a place where we talk about how our Christianity intersects with politics because it does intersect and how that should influence who we do and don't vote for. But I want to tell you something, church, we're a part of some something much bigger than who's the next president, okay? Much bigger. We're part of something that's, that's global, that's international, and the knee that we, the person that we bow a knee to is King Jesus, and that's who oversees us, and we have to be really careful during that season that we're not provoking one another and irritating one another and dividing one another because we're a part of something way bigger than a Democrat or a Republican or an independent party or whatever, okay? Way bigger. We're a part of a, a community where we're care, careful to keep the unity. And, and Paul says, not only that, but we're not jealous of one another. We're, we're careful not to be jealous of another follower of Jesus Christ. We're, we're not jealous of another person's success. In fact, one of my favorite heart checks and how I'm doing with the community, the Christian community in which I live, is, is do I really celebrate with others? I want you to think about that for a minute. Do I, do I really celebrate when someone in my small group or someone in my church family does well? And it's especially so if it's something I really was excited about. 
especially if it's something that I wanted. I, and as I was kind of even preparing a sermon, I was <clears throat> probing my own heart. There's an area in my own heart, man, that is uh, very dark for me. It goes all the way back to, to Super Bowl 40 in 2005. Big Seattle Seahawks fan. So Seattle Seahawks, for those of us who are Seattle Seahawks fans, we, we, we were an expansion franchise in the 70s, and we'd just never been any good, right? And we finally make it to a Super Bowl, and we, we get to the Super Bowl against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and, and, and the, the referees robbed the Seattle Seahawks of the Super Bowl. And as I look back on this, and I reflect on my own heart, to this day, I have a difficult time celebrating any Steelers win. I've re- <laughs> I've recognized, we're not going to talk to this section over here. <laughs> I have recognized that there is bitterness in my heart about this. I, I'm jealous as they walk around with their six Super Bowls, and I'm just hoping to get to another one, right? You know, but all joking aside, I mean, um, how do you celebrate with other people? That's a, that's a real heart check. I mean, <clears throat> Paul says, don't be jealous of one another. Can you really celebrate when someone else does well? Do you really celebrate when, when someone else gets a, a raise and you haven't had one in years? Are you really able to go, man, wait, that's awesome, right? Do you really celebrate when, when, <clears throat> when another couple in the community has gotten pregnant and you've been trying forever, right? Do you really celebrate when someone else's test results come back? from the doctor, a little bit different than yours. Hey, that's great. Way to go. Do you really celebrate when, you know, you've been single forever and you're wondering, man, when is God going to bring me someone special and your best friend gets a boyfriend or a girlfriend or gets engaged? Do we really celebrate when someone in our community is doing well? And by the way, do you, know, you want to know what, let's get to the heart of what that is when we have a difficult time celebrating with another follower of Christ inside of our family. You know what the heart of that is? The heart of that is we're having a difficult time resting in the sovereignty of God and what God has planned for us. Does that make sense? We have a difficult time saying, hey, God, you know what? I believe and I trust that the path that you have me on is the way that you can best reveal your glory through my life. And I'm going to continue to rest in what you have for me. And I'm going to celebrate when you have a different plan for someone else in my community of faith. Does that make sense? Do we celebrate? Or do we come? And this is the language of the family. Okay. And then I want to bring you to our final point here this morning. And, and, and it's in chapter 6, verse 1. Now, before we jump down here, and I do think these kind of flow together, okay? And I want to remind you in the original letter that Paul wrote to the church of Galatia um, that there were no chapters and verses, right? So a lot of times we read chapters and verses and we think there's a flow breakup when maybe there isn't, okay? And I'm, I kind of, as I was reading this, I was wondering if this just didn't flow to the next point because Paul's talking about, you know, that we in community, we, we've died to ourselves, we live for others, we're not to be jealous, we're to be humble, we're to be, you know, kind of a mutual submission and mutual honoring of one another. And then he says this, and it's like this plead from the Apostle Paul in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, dear brothers and sisters. And what do you hear there? What's the language? It's family, right? He's talking about, he's talking to, to people that are in the family. In fact, last week we did our membership class. We, we taught, that's one of the things we spent some time on when you become a member at Coastal Community Church. 
encouraging you to commit to this group of people. It doesn't make God happier with you. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is how you know God, but it's a commitment to his people here in this local body, in this community. And Paul says, dear, he's pleading, he says, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to hear this. This is difficult stuff, okay? If another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Did you hear that? What's Paul doing here? He's talking seriously about sin in the life of the community, the Christian community. And he says, and when you do this, he says, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. I think what he's saying is there's a worthwhile family fight, and it's not who's the next president. It's the fight for righteousness and holiness inside the Christian community. That's the worthwhile fight. And he says, if in your community there's a brother or a sister who needs help, and by the way, the word here is overcome by sin. This is not, and by the way, we all sin. This is not about someone that messes up once or twice, and then when they mess up, they're grieved by their sin, and like, man, I did, I messed up there. That stinks. It's not that. This is a person who's overcome by sin. And I'm not talking about church that we suddenly become the righteousness police, all right? I never want to be that. I don't want to sit here and point a finger out to one person or another, but I do want to be a church that we take sin seriously with one another. Because if we do less than that, we are failing to understand that sin has a big price to be paid. Does that make sense? In fact, Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul talks about sin. He said, sin has a wage. By the way, what's a wage? Anybody know what a wage? I remember my very first job. My dad said, I got back from my job. My dad said, hey, son, what was your wage? What was he talking about? A wage is what? Something you earn, Right? My first job, I got minimum wage, right? It was probably three twenty-five an hour. Now I'm in the ministry. It's like four twenty-five. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's way better than that. All right. And Paul says in Romans six twenty-three, man, your sin has earned you something. He says the wages of sin is what? Church, I want to tell you something. Sin's a huge deal. And sometimes we, we take it so light. And we take it as so individualistic. And we think our sin, man, it doesn't hurt anyone else. When the fact is our sin hurts everyone else. Our brokenness. And because we're of the lineage of Adam, we're all from the downline of Adam, we're owed a physical death, to be sure, every single one of us. It's a wage of sin. You know, the Bible talks about two kinds of death. There's physical death. None of us gets out of this alive. I hope that's not news to you this morning. But there's also a spiritual death, right? There's a spiritual separation. And, and if we continue in our sin all the way to the judgment seat of, of God and we're not clothed in the righteousness of Christ given to us by grace through faith, we will owe a spiritual death, the Bible says. It's an eternal separation. And here's why. We have stepped over the greatest story ever told, the story that God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son to pay the debt that he didn't owe. And he conquered death through the resurrection and the power of the spirit. And we just stepped over that story and ignored it. So it doesn't matter. And one day, God, I'm going to stand before you 
in my own righteousness, if you will, in the hopes that my good deeds somehow outweighed my bad deeds. What a mistake, because God can't have any bad deeds in his presence. He's holy. He's separate. He's unlike us. And by the way, a couple, new, couple little side notes here, if we're going to be serious about sin and community, okay? If we're going to be serious about helping a brother or a family, a brother or a sister overcome a sin, the first thing we understand is God is serious about sin. Why? Because he's, he's holy. How serious is God about sin? He's so serious that he, he sent his only son so that you could have a relationship with him. That's how serious God is about sin. Another by the way moment, if we're, if we're going to be a community where we, we are serious about helping brothers and sisters over, that are overcoming a sin, if we're serious about that and having a conversation, you've got to be in a relationship with other people, intimate relationships. You know, I, I get up here week in and week out, and Pastor Jeff and I especially, you know, we talk so much about the importance of small group ministry. Why do we talk about that? Because the Bible knows nothing about an individualistic maverick Christianity. It's a community thing. And if you're here week in and week out and you haven't developed any relationships where there's someone that has the opportunity and the right to speak into your life, you can't fulfill this command, right? You're not in a position. It should frighten us if we live this individualistic life that one day, you know what, if I walk into a church, walk out of the church, the corporate worship service, no one really knows me, and then one day I get overcome in a sin, there's no one in my life that has the right or the relationship to speak into my life. I thank God for the people in my life that would love me enough to say, Sean, you are heading down a very dangerous path here, very dangerous path, which is the third, by the way, in this, okay? You would never welcome this kind of conversation if you don't take seriously taking the name of Jesus upon your life. Did you hear that? If you're here today and you're giving a little pushback to this sermon, like, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. If there's a little bit of pushback in your heart right now, and that's kind of the American way, right? I would caution you that when you walk out of these doors, if you walk out of the doors and say you're a Christian... That means you're taking the name of Jesus, the name of Christ upon your name. You should welcome a conversation. You know what? I want to make sure when I walk out these doors that, the, that I'm living holy and righteous in every area of my life, just like I discussed. And I would take seriously if another brother or sister in Christ loved me enough to pull me aside and say, you know what? You might be missing the boat here, right? Do we take that seriously? And Paul does. He says, in the context of family... If someone is overcoming a sin, he said, you, some of you need to have a cup of coffee or pull someone aside and say, listen, this is a really dangerous path you're going to. And he says, you help, another, you help a family member ultimately get on the right path. You help another family member get on the right path. And he says, we do this with two attitudes. We do it humbly and we do it gently. We do it humbly and we do it gently. And Paul says in Galatians 6, 2, he says, and be careful... This is the humility part, right? Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Whenever we talk to another person about their life, especially if it's, you know, hey, I see this area of their life that might be a blind spot. Whenever we do that, we have to be really careful because we have to remember that we're all broken. This is where we're careful not to become the righteousness police, right? Hey, let me point this out. Let me, you know, we have to be really careful that because we have to remember that we're all broken. Every single one of us is cracked pots, if you will, right? And we all need a correction from time to time. 
And all of us have sin in our life. And all of us have to be careful that sin doesn't go unchecked. And, and again, I'm not talking about being legalistic or being on a witch hunt or being the sin police. But I'm talking about if you have a brother or sister in Christ, someone you really love, someone in your group, someone in your circle, that, man, they, you feel like they're being overcome by a sin. And this sin is going to literally put them on a whole different path. Instead of the path of life, man, it's going to tangle them up and they're going to be on the path of death. We have an obligation as brothers and as part of the family to say, hey, listen, I want to help encourage you to get on the right path. And then it is in that context, okay, that this verse, this verse is often taken out of context. But in that context, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul says this, and share each other's burdens. And in this way, we obey the law of Christ. By the way, what's the law of Christ? It's the law of Christ. It's to love God and love others, right? Love God and love others. He says, share each other's burdens. And in this way, we obey the law of Christ. So as families, we help one another carry the burden, carry the load of their life. Whether it's their sin and brokenness, whether it's life's hit them upside the head. Church, we have a responsibility, not just to sit here corporately, and learn and sing and all that, but also to have relationships in such a way that you, you are journeying together. And when someone's burden is heavy, you help them carry that burden. When someone's burden is difficult, man, we help them carry that burden. The idea here, the literal idea here is the idea to, to endure with someone for a long period of time. Now that kind of cuts against our culture, doesn't it? Like, and by the way, you, know, you want to know what the word for patience is? Literally, the word for patience is long-suffering, right? We, we don't live in a culture that wants to suffer long, right? We, we live in a culture that goes from one thing to the next. We don't want any burdensome relationships around us that we have to endure with someone for a long period of time. Certainly not in marriage, right? Where that person is supposed to make me happy. And the Bible here is clear that in Christian community, uh, when someone's got a problem, someone's going, they're overcome by a sin or they're going through a difficult time or they're broken or life's hit on the side of the head, we have an, a responsibility to bear that burden, to help carry the load, to walk alongside of them and journey with them through a difficult time for a long time if necessary. You know, in, in Christianity, I think a lot of times the church is known to just be a mouth, and we tell everybody what we're against, right? Against this and against that, right? But we're often not known as a group of people that surround other people with love and help carry the load. Is that right? And Paul says, listen, and so we are to bear the burdens with one another. And Paul pleads with his church, dear brothers and sisters, family language. Pick up and carry the load with one another. I want to finish with a story, and then we'll close with prayer here this morning. Back in the, in the 60s, um, uh, the music industry would release songs on these very small records called 45s, right? How many of y'all remember 45s? How many, how many of y'all under 45 remember 45s, right? Not many, right? So... So 45s, right? And so what the industry would do is on these 45s, they would put what they would call an A-list song, okay? And this was a song that was going to be a big hit. And on the back of the 45 or the other side was the B-list song, okay? And 
and usually the B-list song was maybe a, um, a, a, a music group that, that they were trying to introduce to the culture, or maybe it was a song that it was just a filler song. I didn't think it was going to make it big. But on the back of one of these 45s was a song that went to the top of the charts. And, and part of the reason that it went to the top of the charts was there was a story during the Vietnam War that circulated in our culture that helped propel this song to the top of the charts. Now, I will tell you this, as I was doing a little legwork, there is some debate about the truth of the story, but nevertheless, it was the story that circulated that, helps, that helped propel this song forward. And the story was told of uh, during the Vietnam War, an American soldier saw a little boy carrying another little boy out of a village that we had just bombed. And as he was carrying this little boy, one of our soldiers stopped this little Vietnamese boy and asked if he needed help. If this little, if this other boy he was carrying was heavy, he looked heavy, he says, Does he need, do you need some help, son? And you probably know where I'm going with this, right? The little boy looked up at the American soldier and said, sir, he ain't heavy. He's my what? He's my brother, right? And the Hollies made that song very, very popular on this B-list 45 vinyl record. You know, I think part of the reason that song became so popular is the truth in that song. It's the truth of Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. It's, it's the truth of what a community, a real Christian community should look like. A community that doesn't provoke one another, a community that's humble towards one another, a community that's not jealous towards one another, a community that says, hey, we take sin seriously, and if we see a brother or sister overcome in a sin, that we want to help that brother or sister get right on the right path. And not, not only do we want to just have a bunch of words in our community, but we want to be a community that helps, comes alongside, and we bear the burden of another human being and another individual. And, and we take the song that became so popular in the 60s, and we say, you know what? When I'm carrying the load of someone else, I want you to know something. He ain't heavy. She ain't heavy. He's my brother. And she's my sister. And church, as we wrap this series up, I want to encourage you with this. These kind of relationships, they take time. And they take intimacy, and they don't happen just in corporate worship service. And it's one of the reasons we push and we push small group ministry because we believe there are certain truths in the New Testament that can only be, be lived out in close, intimate relationships with other followers of Jesus Christ. And I think that's why Paul finishes wrapping up this letter pleading, Dear brothers and sisters, Dear brothers and sisters, carry the load. Bear the burden. If someone is overcome in a sin, lovingly and gently encourage them on the right path. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for this word. And God, I want to pray for this community. God, I, I have no Nowhere in my heart, God, do I want us to be a church that we're the righteousness police. Nowhere in my heart, God, do I want to be a people that 
is pulling out the speck in someone else's eye when I have a huge plank in my own eye. However, God, I do want to be a community where our relationships are genuine and our relationships are real and our relationships go deep and we understand that it's family and we understand that we are dear brothers and we are dear sisters to one another. God, we understand the gravity of sin. We don't want to see another brother or sister head down the path of sin, a path of destruction. God, we want to be a community where literally when someone has a burden to bear, we come alongside them and we help them bear the burden. And we do it in such a way as one to bring honor, glory, and worship to you, as well as to love and serve our family. And in those moments, God, when we have opportunity to serve another, we're mindful that they're not heavy my brother they're my sister and for the glory of God to uplift the fame of Jesus who bore our burden who carried our load we will do the same for a fellow brother and a fellow sister in Jesus Christ and it's in Jesus name I pray amen